All right, that is it for announcements. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 11 this morning. Luke 11 is where we will be uh, today. And while you're turning that, I'd like to thank one more time, because it's a big, important day, I'd like to thank the moms. Um, I'd like to thank my mom. Uh, thank you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, my wife, Sarah, who is a fantastic, awesome mom, um, and just all of the different moms, and not only moms, but aunts and grandmas, uh, and just women who step into that role to lead and nurture and care, and all of these different ways that people can be a mom without being a mom. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking that um, step to pour in and love and serve other people. So uh, we are going to be in Luke 11 this morning. We are in a series looking at the Lord's Prayer, kind of taking it apart section by section, working our way through it. Uh, And I hope that this has really influenced your own prayer life, both private and corporately when you pray with other people, that it's made you think about the words that you say and the words you, you say when you go to God, when you're spending time with him, what is it that you're actually, what words are you actually using? And so today we look at what is the first of the requests of this prayer that are really focused on us. The beginning of the prayer, rightly so, addresses and acknowledges God as Father, the intimacy, the safety, the security, the power that is found there. And then there is a call to adore him in worship, to acknowledge and celebrate and hallow his name. And then the request of God for his kingdom to break in, for it is for it to be here on earth as it is in heaven, is what we talked about last week. And so today, the prayer kind of takes a turn and gets us thinking and focusing on our existence here, thinking and focusing on ourselves. And let me say this, because I know this can be hard for some people. It is okay to pray for yourself. It's actually good to pray for yourself. It is right and expected and even needed to pray for yourself. If we are God's children and we have the ability and the right to go to the Father with our requests, we should do that. Now, some of you might hear that and say, well, you know what? God knows everything. He already knows what I need. He already knows what I'm going to pray, so why do we need to pray? And that's the trick. You've got to look at the words you're using. It's not need to pray. It's get to pray. We get to. It is a privilege and gift. Prayer is a privilege and gift given to us by the Father. There's an aspect of prayer when we are dealing with and praying for ourselves that sometimes gets overlooked. And the fact that it's our God is our Father, as we looked at at the beginning of this prayer. If He is, in fact, our Father and He likes to be our Father, that means He also likes to act as our Father. I am a dad, I love being a dad. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I love it. When Benji calls and says, Dad, and needs me to do something, I love getting to step into those moments. Because I love that that means that he knows that he can call on me and I will help him. Or I will do my best and try not to break whatever he's already broke a little bit. I'll try not to break it a little more. But he knows that I'm going to be there to try and help and do whatever I can. I love those moments. God's the same way. He loves when we call on him and go to him as our father where he can step in to care for us. I've used this illustration before, but in uh, C.S. Lewis's, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, in The Magician's Nephew, it's a story, okay, if you don't know it, you should go, if you're looking for summer reading, Chronicles of Narnia, always good time. Um, In The Magician's Nephew, there's two kids, Polly and Diggory, and they are in Narnia, and they are sent by Aslan, who is a talking lion, who is kind of the metaphor as he connects to God, right? 
And so he's in control of all things. And Aslan sends Polly and Diggory on this quest. They have to go get this plant. It's far away. So the way they get there is to take a flying, talking horse named Fledge. They jump on the horse. Fledge is flying towards this mountain. It's a far journey. So he stops halfway. And they stop, and as horses do, he stops and he goes and finds some grass. And it says, Polly and Diggory stared at each other in dismay. Well, I do think someone might have arranged our meals for us, said Diggory. I'm sure Aslan would have if you'd asked him, said Fledge. Wouldn't he know without being asked, said Polly? I've no doubt he would, said the horse. But I've sort of got an idea that he likes to be asked. That's God. He knows what we need, but he likes to be asked. Supplication is the church word for bringing our needs, our requests to God and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I need you to step in here. God, please get involved here. It's our chance to give God room to be God in our lives. And he likes to be asked because he cares for us, because he loves us. And he loves when we come to him and say, I need your help. And because he is a good, kind father, he enjoys taking care of his children. So as we turn our attention in this prayer towards things that affect us directly, praying for yourself is not selfish, it is not evil, it is not a burden to God. And your requests and your needs are no less important than anyone else's. And on top of that, God is exceedingly abundantly able to do more than we could possibly imagine. And so you are not draining his resources or keeping him from doing something for someone else by lifting up your requests. Praying for yourself is good and needed and important. Okay? Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Luke 11. Heavenly Father, God, you are good, and you're awesome, and we love you, and we thank you. God, we thank you for days like this where we get to come to you where every Sunday is a little mini celebration of the resurrection, a little mini Easter for us, where we get to gather together and sing your praises. We get to gather together and lift up our requests, lift up our adoration, lift up your holy name. We get to get together and open your word and hear from you as you reveal yourself to us, as you call us to yourself deeper and deeper, closer and closer. God, we thank you for days like this, for opportunities like this to worship you, to celebrate you, to enjoy you, and to do it in the midst of community, both in person and online, virtually. God, the technology that you have allowed to exist so that we can even continue to do this virtually. God, days like today are these reminders to us of how good and awesome you are, how powerful you are, that here we are in 2021, and we are tired, and your church is tired, and your people are longing for connection and to get back to whatever normal is. And in the midst of all of the chaos that we have experienced in the last year plus, and all of the chaos that has been since Adam and Eve took that bite of that fruit and sent everything topsy-turvy with sin, here your church still stands. Your church around the world, generation after generation, continues to proclaim the gospel, continues to proclaim your goodness and holiness People around the world continue to come to know you as Father and Savior. People around the world continue to get baptized. People around the world continue to go and make disciples. People around the world continue to worship and celebrate you because you are who you say you are, and your word is truth. 
God, as we open up your word this morning, as we hear from you today, Lord, give us eyes to see, give us minds to understand, give us hearts to believe, and give us hands and feet to respond to the truth you have for us today. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name, amen. We're going to be in Luke 11 this morning, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation." And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Give us, our da- give us our daily bread. It is a regular, reoccurring prayer that we have. Matthew 6, in the other account of this prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Which begs the question, how do you start your day? Now look, this is not a call for me to say, everyone has to be a morning person. Right? You have to be that person who gets up before the sun. If that's you, amen. I'd love to learn how you do that because that's just never been in my nature. I'd like to do that, but I just, it's just not something I, I do well. My guess is most of us, we wake up by an alarm, and for most of us, I would guess it's on your phone. Right? Your alarm goes off and it's on your phone. And what happens? After you may hit the snooze once or twice or three times, depending on if you're me, you now have your phone in your hand and you shut the alarm off. And now what happens? You start scrolling Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, check your emails, you start comparing yourself. Even subconsciously, you don't even realize it. You're comparing yourself, you're stressing yourself out. You're really devouring garbage into your head, heart, and soul before your feet even hit the floor. They say breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and the same can be said for how you start your day mentally and spiritually. So I would encourage you to start your day in God's Word and in prayer. Before you put the anxiety and frustration and shallowness that comes from social media and the anxiety and stress that can come from work and from emails which you put those together, it's like the spiritual equivalent of a bowl of Lucky Charms floating in Mountain Dew. Instead of going to that for your breakfast, your spiritual breakfast, let your nourishment be the bread of life that is the word of God. 
And it is so easy to connect with him because that same phone that can send you down all kinds of spirals into social media has so much access to the word of God on it. And more than that, you don't need anything to spend time with God in prayer. No resources needed. You can just start praying. Even if you don't have words yet, you can just pray in your head and heart. He hears those. He knows those. Give us each day. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not a very grabby or holy first personal request, is it? Right? I mean, you'd think the first earthly request would be something bigger, something with a larger footprint, something massive, right? I mean, we have God's ear here, so why not pray for something huge right off the bat? But it is a big prayer. It actually is a massive prayer. It is another huge statement to make, as we have seen throughout this prayer. Much like we talked about in acknowledging God as Father and God as King, to pray and pray regularly for God to provide your daily bread is to put your most basic, consistent, necessary needs in the hands of God for you to just get through the day. That's a big prayer to pray considering how much we claim to be independent people, even though in reality we all rely on others to get through the day. And ultimately, everything you have, everything you are, comes back to God. Even the very lung, the breath in your lungs comes back to being a gift from God. But this prayer of, give us our, this day our daily bread, this is a big, big prayer. To pray, give us our daily bread, is to ask God to provide our most basic of needs and nourishment. And we've talked about as we've looked at this prayer, and any time that we pray, prayer is not a passive thing. We don't just float these things out to God and then sit back and hope he's going to take care of it. We don't pray it and wait for God to provide. We get involved. And so when it comes to give us today our daily bread, we work. We are made to work. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, there was work. In Genesis 1.28, God says to Adam, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's Genesis 2.15. Sin doesn't show up till Genesis 3. Before there was sin, there was work. But for Adam, this was not a 9-to-5 kind of gig. He didn't punch in and punch out. He didn't have a uniform or a dress code. This was just part of his life. Before sin entered the world, man had responsibility and purpose to work. Excuse me, to work, to cultivate, and to exert ourselves. So as we are able, we work. And that's a way of pursuing our daily bread. Now, for a variety of reasons, people can't work. And there are systems in place to help those who are unable, not unwilling, but unable. And if you look at history, it has mostly been the church at the forefront of helping those who are unable to work. It is a way for the church to live out the grace and compassion that Christ showed us at the cross in his life, death, burial, and resurrection to die for our sins and raise from the dead to defeat sin, death, hell, and the grave. In doing that, in way for the church to care for those who are unable to provide for themselves. When we are unable, when we were unable to save ourselves, God saved us. When those who are unable to provide for themselves, the church should be stepping in to provide and give help. But that's a whole different sermon for a whole different day. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is a symbol throughout the Bible of the most basic need and dependence and nourishment. Everyone understood bread. Everyone needs bread. We need food to eat. And this idea of bread being the provision of independence and nourishment, we see it play out really, really clearly in Exodus 16. If you're looking for something to study this week, if you already got through the heaven word study you were doing last week, you can look at Exodus 16 this week. I'll give you some cliff notes. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They cry out and cry out. God hears the cries of his people and he rescues them and leads them out of slavery. He leads them to freedom. He leads them across the Red Sea on dry land. He is leading them toward the promised land, to this land he has set apart for them to prosper. He's going to make them not just to be slaves, but to make them a people, a nation. And along the way, as they're traveling to the promised land, the Israelites get hangry. Angry because they're hungry. They get crabby because they got no food, and they start to complain to Moses. Why would you bring us out from, at least in Egypt we had food, why would you bring us out of here just to die out in the desert? Exodus 16, 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, When they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. The people cry out, they want food. God hears their cries, and he says, I'm going to make it rain bread from heaven. And this is not any kind of bread that has ever been seen, because the Israelites come out when they first see it, and they ask, what is this? Because it's something completely different. He created something out of nothing, a whole brand new type of food. And it appears... Every day, every day as they are in the desert, every day God makes it rain bread. And remember, God said he did this to test them. Because Moses tells the people, look, God's going to make it rain bread. But let no one leave any of it over till the morning. He says, do not keep leftovers. You're going to go out in the morning. You are going to collect what you need for you and your household. That's it for one day. Don't take more than you need. Take enough for you and your household for that day. Do not keep the leftovers. Do not keep some and say, well, what if he doesn't show up tomorrow morning? What if there's no bread tomorrow morning, so let's keep some back. We'll take a little extra. We'll keep some back. Because in verse 20 it says, they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Moses says, go out. Collect just what you need for today. God will provide some more tomorrow. And immediately, some of them disobeyed. And of course they disobeyed. Because by our nature, we are rebels against God. We think we know better. We can do better. We are better. Even when God makes bread rain down from heaven, we still aren't satisfied. You want your life to stink? Knowingly disobey the commands of God, and I promise you, your life will stink. God was teaching them dependence on himself. He was teaching them what it looks like. He was asking them, can you trust that tomorrow I'm going to provide just as I did today? 
that God also told them, on the sixth day, I want you to collect twice what you do daily. This was done so they wouldn't have to collect any on the Sabbath so that they could have a day of rest. And again, they are told this, again, in verse 27, they're told this in verse 25, he says, go out, you're going to take just what you need, and then on the sixth day, you're going to take double portion. You'll prepare it on the sixth day. Don't go, out on the, don't go out on the seventh day because there's not going to be any bread out there. Verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? He wasn't just aiming at a Moses that was really for everybody. How long will you continue to ignore me? God was trying to teach the people to trust him. As if he hadn't already proven it in all that he had done to get them safely out of Egypt. He had acted on the big, massive stage of plagues and miracles. And then again, here in the small commands, just rest. Don't collect any on the Sabbath Sabbath day. Take a day to just rest. Trust me. Trust that I have provided enough for you. We live in a similar position because regularly God is still teaching us to trust him. It's a lesson we continuously, as people, have to continuously learn. Trust God. Trust that he is going to daily provide for us. Trust that he is daily going to give to us. We have to continuously learn that over and over again. Even though, much like the Israelites could look back and see that God brought them out of slavery, he had rescued them. In the same way, we can look back and see, oh, God brought us out of the slavery to sin that we were stuck in when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God rescued us from that, sent Jesus to live perfectly, die painfully, and rise from the dead rid powerfully over sin, death, hell, and the grave. We can look back and see God provides God provides in the big, massive, awesome ways. He's going to provide in the little day-to-day ways. And yet we continuously have to relearn that lesson. We have to continuously see and be reminded that God is for us, that God is trustworthy. This is what it means to pray and ask God, give us our daily bread. Praying and asking God, give me whatever I need to get through today. Now, it changes, right? Because, and that's why regularly we should come back to this prayer, because every day we need a little bit something different. This idea of day-to-day dependence is not something most of us are accustomed to because we have refrigerators. We have drawers of clothing. We have paychecks. Most of us are not living day-to-day. But that was the way of the world for most people in Jesus' day. You got paid for each day of work, for the work that you did that day, and the payment that you got didn't stretch very far, which means if you missed a day of work, if you were sick, if you were hurt and you couldn't work that day, then you and your family were going to be in a lot of trouble if that money didn't come in for that day. Most of us don't have to live that way, but the prayer is still the same. The need for God to provide daily is still the same. God, provide for me today in all the ways I need provision. I need you. And that includes our food, our clothing, our bills getting paid, our health. See, God cares about your physical needs, your personal physical needs. God cares about those things. We see in Luke 11, in verse 9, if you skip down to verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. 
and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if he has a son, asks for a fish? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Some hear that passage and they focus on everyone who asks receives. As long as I ask, then God's going to give me. Or God has to give me. As if there is some right combination of prayers and nice actions and positive thinking that we can somehow checkmate God into doing what we ask him to do. It doesn't work that way. What God gives, he does so out of his abundance of grace and mercy and love and kindness, not because he has to. But then what do we do with that phrase in verse 10? Everyone who asks receives. We've got to look at the whole passage because all of the verbs in verse 10 are in the continuous case, which means they are continuously happening, meaning we aren't just talking about one time you ask for something or one time you seek or one time you knock, but rather keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. There is an earnest, passionate, intentional pursuit of God in these statements. The one who is continuously searching and seeking out God. And that's the other end of it, right? What is it that you're actually asking for? What are you seeking? What are you knocking for? What's the end goal? What's the plan? What's the reason for the request? Is your request that you are making known to God for you or for God's glory? Remember we said when we talked about hallowed be your name, that all of life is to start from a place of adoration for God. Everything else flows from that. Everything else, even our prayer requests, should flow from an adoration of God, for a desire to glorify and make much of God in our lives, even in the ways that we pray to him and ask for him to do things in our lives so that we can give him glory. And so you see, for the person who humbly and intentionally pursues God, there is resolution because God cares. He cares about you and your needs. God is concerned with your personal, practical, and material situation and needs. He is concerned because of who he is and because of who we are to him. Verse 11, 12, and 13, it talks about God being this good father. God is our heavenly father, a good father, a good dad who wants to and enjoys caring for his children. When they cried out in Egypt, he rescued them. When they cried out for food in the desert, he provided it for them. When the crowds gathered listening to Jesus preach and it was the middle of the day and they were hungry, he had compassion on them and he fed them. God cares about you because he at his core is a compassionate father who loves his children, who loves, those, who loves us. You matter to God. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You matter to God because of who God is. He is a good dad. But you also matter to him because of who you are. Because to God, you are his workmanship. You are his sculpture, his work of art. You were created with a purpose. You are special to God. You are his creation. He formed you. He made you. He knows you. You are his daughter. You are his son. As we talk about God and his provision, we can't escape Matthew 6, nor should we. 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so for the one who seeks, for the one who knocks, for the one who is pursuing God's kingdom, God will show up and provide. But don't hear that and say, okay, everything I want, I get. As long as I'm pursuing God, everything I want, I get, because there's a difference between want and need. God knows what we need and also distinguishes between what we need and what we want. He knows the difference even when we can't, or let's be honest, won't admit that there's a difference. Because oftentimes we take things that are wants and we make them needs in our own mind. We get caught up in the consumerism. We get caught up in the keeping up with the Joneses. We get caught up in the new, shiny, fun, interesting. Between media convincing us that new is always better and the shrinking of the world via social media, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others who we know, or more oftentimes, don't know. And in doing that, we are turning our wants into needs because we have created in ourselves a need of acceptance, validation through likes and retweets and what we have and what we do and what we can get validation from for others. Look at me, look what I did, look where I am, look who I'm with, look what experience I'm in, look at what I've accomplished. I said earlier, at the time when Luke was written, this idea of daily bread made a lot of sense because most people lived day-to-day. Day-to-day provision hit home for most who heard Jesus preach. Wants were not often on the table. The needs were dictated by how the money was going to be, the needs dictated how the money was going to get used. Now, that's not to say that wanting things is a bad thing. Luxury is a bad thing. That's not the case. And sometimes we get our wants fulfilled. Sometimes God hears us pray, hears us ask for something that's a want, not a need, and he says, yeah, here it is. Because again, he's a good dad who likes to care for and love his kids. But sometimes he also withholds them. He withholds these things because they aren't what we need, and in fact, sometimes our wants will hinder us from ultimately pursuing something better. Now the skeptic hears that that logic and says, that's just justification for you not getting what you want. But our response, the Christian response, should be, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. If I know and believe that God is ultimately good, then even when I don't get something that I want, I know that it means that God has a reason for that to be withheld from me. 
Now look, that's easier said than done. That's, that's something where like you know it intellectually, but it's sometimes hard to live that out in your heart, right? That's why we have to continuously be coming back to God's word, continuously be refreshing ourselves in who God is, his character, his will, his identity, and how he reveals himself to us to remind us, no, God is good. God is for us all the time. Because God is not interested in just giving us good or fine or okay. He is interested in giving us what is best, what is great, what is abundant. Jesus says in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life in excess. Life overflowing. That's the God we have. That's the Father we have. That's the King that we have. So no, we don't always get what we want, but God will supply and will provide what we need. Give us our daily bread. It's a prayer where we are praying, trusting in God's continual provision. Because look, he got you to this moment, and he's going to get you through to the next one. It's a prayer saying that we trust that God's provision won't run out. Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's who we are offering our prayers to. That's who we are offering our requests and our needs to. The one who is able to do far more than you can possibly comprehend. You can't, there's a phrase that goes, you can't outsin God's grace. Right? There's no way you can do something so bad, so evil, so vile that God can't forgive you. Jesus' death at the cross paid for all sin, all time. You can't out-sin God's grace. In the same way, you can't out-pray God's power. Can't be done. You can't pray too big. You can't pray something that God can't handle. He can do it. Throughout the Lord's Prayer, we have seen this plural used. Give us our daily bread. There's this community aspect to what God is doing what God is doing and what we are praying for. Because you're not just praying for you when you pray this prayer. Just in praying that prayer, we are praying for the provision and needs of other people, for God to provide above and beyond ourselves. Give us, give us this day our daily bread. That's a mentality we need to hang on to. In a world that is constantly telling us it's all about you. You go get yours. Don't worry about anybody else. Individualism is king. You take care of you. We need to cling to this idea of community. This, this idea to think beyond ourselves. To those who are suffering. To those who die every day from a lack of a literal daily bread and water. I said earlier, it's okay and even good to pray for yourself. And the same is true for praying for others. We also have talked about prayer is not a passive thing. So then, if we're going to pray and ask God to provide daily bread for others, let me ask you, how are you contributing to that? Right? In this prayer that for many of us that grew up in the church, you can recite it backwards and forwards. You've been praying to God, give us this day our daily bread. You've been praying for the provision of needs for people. How are you contributing to that? What does it look like for you personally to be an agent of seeing God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven in regards to the provision of daily bread for others? You know you. You know your heart. You know your actions. You know where you stand on these things. You know how you spend your time, talent, finances. 
How are you contributing to seeing this breakthrough? Because the phrase is, give us our daily bread. It belongs to us together. Meaning, when it comes to the basic essential necessities to live on earth and survive, everyone is entitled to them. It's part of having value and worth from being created in the image and likeness of God. There is not a hierarchy of who gets to have access to the necessities to exist on this planet and who doesn't. Just because someone is born in a certain place or has a certain family lineage or even has done something to put themselves in a vulnerable or weak position does not mean they are worthless or they do not deserve their daily bread. And to those who have, to those who have in abundance and withhold it and hoard it or just decide I'm not going to share it, James says in James 4.17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We as Christians are called to be generous. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is not a prosperity gospel kind of thing. This is not, okay, if I'm, as long as I give, then God's going to give me back a jet ski. You can't manipulate God in any way, especially with your finances. It's all his anyway, so there's no manipulating him. This is talking about your heart. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor, glorify, worship, adore, adoration to God for with your wealth. Worship the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, that's the choice, that's the beginning, that's the top, the first portion. The first line item of your budget is what is going back to God, whether that be to the church, to a missionary, to a ministry, just being generous and deciding, I'm going to give this much away, however that looks for you. See, this is about the heart. There's a difference between giving to God out of worship to honor him and giving to try and manipulate or impress him or other people and turn God into your personal slot machine. Okay, as long as I give away, God's going to give it back to me. If that's the mentality, that it ain't going to work. Proverbs 19, 17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. We know God is faithful. If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Christ, you know God is faithful. So whether it's dollar for dollar here or repaying in some other way that is nothing to do with money or some kind of repayment in eternity, God says, I will repay. We see that if we are generous people, God sees that and he will not forget that. And he is trustworthy so we can trust him at his word. Once again, though, what's your heart? Are you being generous out of worship, out of adoration to God. One more from Proverbs. Proverbs 22, 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Bountiful eye means it's a generous way of looking at the world, is actively looking for ways to be generous. That person is blessed. Generosity is a way for us to be the lights in the world that point people to God. By being good stewards of what he has given us, we are able to show people our God is generous himself. I don't believe that I can pray and ask God to provide our daily bread, or even just my daily bread, my family's daily bread, and then see pain and suffering and do nothing about it when we have the ability to do so. Someone asked Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? 
He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. That's what we're commanded to do. That's what we're praying and asking God to help us do when we pray, give us our daily bread. I want to close with just two points of observation that hopefully lead us to maybe some some application. The one is resting in a security in God. Because he's good. And he's limitless. And he's trustworthy. And with that combination alone, we can boldly, confidently, daily, moment by momently, give our prayers to God and know that he cares that he's paying attention, and he has the ability to act and will always act in our best interest. And because he is these things and many, many more, that means we can rest, truly rest, truly take a Sabbath, truly enjoy his presence, knowing that if he is going to grant you tomorrow, he's going to take care of you tomorrow. We are called to work and, and work hard to the glory of God. But rest in doing, in rest in doing that and knowing that you, when you rest, you are practicing and you are growing in trusting God. Every time you take a break, every time you take a rest and you realize it's not all about what I can do with myself, we are resting and saying, God, I need you to provide. It's growing and trusting in him. Rest in the security of God. The second is the contentment in God because he knows what is best for us and he will give us what is best for us and he wants to give exceedingly abundantly that's his style which means then that what he has provided for you the life that you have he has you where you are for a purpose your life is not an accident It is not a series of random occurrences or the result of you putting out good vibes and getting good vibes back. You are who you are. You are where you are for a purpose. When you consider that, when you consider that your job, your school, your neighborhood, your family, your friends, all of these things, it is not happenstance, it is not a coincidence, it is not an accident. It is God intentionally placing you in these positions when you consider that the creator of all existence intimately chose you to be involved in these places and that he has intimately involved himself in your life to provide and protect and put you in this exact moment for a reason, it should result in us saying, I can be content in this moment. I can rest in this moment. I can trust in this moment. I have what I need. I have everything that God wants to give me. Now look, It's not a bad thing to want things, to want nice things or new things. But when that consumes us, when we get angry with God because he doesn't give us a want that in our heads we have turned into a need, that's where we have a problem. We should be able to find contentment in God, knowing he is all-powerful, he is all-good, he is all-trustworthy, and he has decided himself, knowing all of existence and keeping all things going, he has decided he wants us exactly where we are in this moment right now. He's got a purpose and plan for that. And when we consider the cosmic ramifications of that, we should be able to say, okay, I can, I can deal with this. That alarm clock's going to go off tomorrow morning, and, and I can go to work, 
And I can do it to the glory of God because God's got me here for a reason. I want to read that passage from Matthew 6 one more time for us. As we talk about God's provision, it says, Do not be anxious about our life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Be content knowing your good, your good, good Father will provide for you. Set your eyes and hearts on the kingdom of God. Contentment should drive us to be generous, knowing that he is in control of all things at all times, and if we give, he will give generously. That's who he is. He can and will provide all that we need, including our daily bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. God, days like this, passages like this, remind us, set us to thinking about all the ways that you have provided, all the ways that you continue to provide. And it's amazing. It's that you would create all of this and that you could have just created everything and walked away and just let us figure it out ourselves, but instead you intimately, actively get involved in our lives are paying attention, and not only paying attention, but you have your finger on the pulse. You are making things happen. God, help us to be the kind of people who first thing in the morning before our feet hit the floor, let us be dependent on you and not on ourselves. Because we only got so much time, we only got so much energy, we only got so much brain space. We only got so much that we can do. But you, you are infinite. You are awesome. You are powerful. You are in control of all things at all times. God, let us rely on you and depend on you and find our joy and find our life and find our filling up in you. God, it starts with just moment by moment coming back to you and remembering that you are in control of all things, that anything we have, including the breath in our lungs, we have it because you gave it to us, because it's yours. We are just holding on to it for right now. God, help us to think beyond ourselves, to think in that community aspect, to think beyond just our individualistic way that the world has been teaching us to think since we were infants. Help us to think beyond ourselves, to think about the community, and to think about just how dependent upon you we are for all things. God, keep us humble. and Keep us focused on you and help us, Lord. Help us to be content with the life you have given us because the life you have given us is good. It is exactly what we need. 
And help us to not just be content, but to be joyfully content. To enjoy it. To enjoy it because it's a provision and a gift from you. Because you're a good father who gives good gifts to his children. You proved how good you are by sending your son to die for us. The ultimate gift by making us your children, by inviting us into the family of God. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone who hears this, who doesn't know you, who hasn't put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God, I pray that right now in this moment, you are breaking down walls, you are busting in, and you are showing them how good you are. You are revealing to them how awesome and good you are and how much you care for them and love them and are calling them to yourself and inviting them to be your son and daughter. God, help us as we go into a world that is noisy and pulling us in a thousand different directions. Help us to rest. Rest in the security and contentment that is found in you and your provision. Help us to lean into you as we seek after you. God, we thank you and praise you. And we pray all of this because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.